Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Our mission is to strip away the myths and hype that often surround the aesthetics industry. Inside Aesthetics aims to get to the bottom of the important topics that concern medical and allied health professionals, as well as the consumers themselves. We'll be showcasing the thoughts and experiences of experts in their respective fields. Each podcast will focus on a specialty, including surgery, non-surgical procedures, nutrition, well-being, and business knowledge from the personalities that have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general educational information about cosmetic procedures and well-being. It does not promote or endorse any cosmetic procedure, brand, or product. You should seek professional medical assessment before considering any treatment. Our guest today is Cassandra Smith. Cassandra is a dermal clinician who was born and bred in Canberra and has spent over 14 years in the skin and beauty industry. She is forever chasing new ideas for the best treatment outcomes, providing education for the therapist and consumers alike, and believes that every day is an opportunity to learn and inspire others. Between continuous learning and writing on industry topics, keynote speaking, treating and treatment planning, you'll find Cassandra running two busy clinics in Canberra, namely Laser Clinics Australia Canberra Centre and Woden. Hello again, Miss Cassandra. How are you? Hello, hello. Early this time. Yeah, you made it. There was You've <laughs> conquered the Sydney morning traffic challenge. I did. Challenge. I haven't had time for two coffees. <laughs> <laughs> two. Wow. They get ready, for ready to rock and roll. So just to give people a little bit of an idea about why we're back here again, with Cassandra. Well, first of all, we had such a great response to your first first episode. It was like, I think one of the most downloaded episodes we've had to date. So obviously people loved what you had to say. And Jake and I have had some discussions around, I guess, the feedback we've been getting from the listeners. And there seems to be a a opportunity to get some of our guests back in to Mm -hmm. go a a little bit more in depth about their areas of, of what they specialize in. And perhaps even what we're planning to do today is a little bit of an educational series. So talk about how you've gotten to where you've gotten to in life, in your career, um, advice for people perhaps looking to go down the same path, hints and tips and tricks and so on, mm-hmm. um, that people can then take that knowledge and apply it to to their own career or people that work for them or what have you. Does that, is that a good summary, Jake, in terms of what we're yeah, trying to do here? Definitely. I mean, I, I fully agree that Cass looking at our stats just yesterday, yeah. was, I'm pretty sure you're number one yes. at the moment. Closely <laughs> followed by Penny Timberlake, I have to say. <laughs> I like so that's you, okay. you I guys like were really resonated with, you know, most of our listeners. And I guess this is to the listeners, you know, we've tried to reach out and understand, you know, who is listening, what do you guys want to hear? And, and we've realised that, you know, packing in, you know, your original episode into roughly an hour, there's too much to talk about, yeah. really. Yeah. So if we can get people like yourself back, uh, maybe condense our episodes to slightly shorter, maybe 45 minutes, mm-hmm. and we'll just get you back more frequently. Sounds so, good. So <laughs> um, if that's right with you. No worries at all. Yeah. So let's get going with, uh, well, I've always actually wanted to say this, Cassandra Boot Camp. It's official. <laughs> <laughs> that's an I inside joke. I wasn't going to put it in. <laughs> I'll put it in. I'll slide it towards the end. Okay. All right. Cool. Oh, so in terms of your career, we touched on it last time mm-hmm. we were here. Um, 
you've done it all really when it comes to skin and, and the laser side of things. You've yeah. gone from, I guess, mopping the floors to <laughs> having two of yeah. your own clinics and having, what are you now, like the biggest employer of females in the ACT? Or something, yeah, something yeah, crazy. that's a pretty exciting stat. I um, recently spoke at a uh, event a few weeks ago and she said, we're really happy to have someone on that's such a supporter of women in industry. And I said, yeah, that's, that's something that I definitely prioritise and am really proud about. And she said, but to be the biggest employer of people in this industry in this state is something to be really proud of. Wow. So I was I really, no really excited about that. Many, and I have two males as well. How so. many women are we talking about? Uh, so there's 53 women and two males that work with me. That's great. So outside of the government, you'd be... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and brothels. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, lowering the tone here. Jeez, Jake's done his research, okay? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. very good. Okay, so let's maybe get into the meat of what yeah, we wanted sure. to discuss today. Um, so someone that's looking to get into the industry or I guess follow the career path mm-hmm. that, that you've gone down, what would be the basic level of training or qualification that someone would have to have to, I guess, call themselves a beauty therapist? Or Sorry to jump in. Should we just recap exactly the industry that we're talking about for people who may ah, not sure. have listened to Cassie's episode? True. Uh, so we my specific, uh, I suppose, expertise is in the beauty industry. Yeah. Uh, so to have a qualification as a beauty therapist, it's a little debatable, to be honest, because you can do a few smaller certificates that eventually lead into your larger diploma. You can do postgraduate certificates, all those sort of things. But essentially, I think the, the best way to move through to a successful career within the industry is to have a diploma first. Okay. Uh, so that's what I did. Uh, so speaking from my experience... I decide to push 100% and jump straight in and do the diploma. There are ways that you can stagger your education if you need to work full-time in addition to studying, if you have children, external uh, responsibilities, those sort of things. So you don't necessarily need to study full-time straight away. A lot of training schools will also offer a part-time diploma, which which helps. And then once you really get through to your diploma, it formalizes your qualification, sets a really good foundation and gives you enough of everything to work out what you want to specialize in and then you'll choose your employer or your f- your further education based on what you were motivated by and did well within your diploma. Yeah. I think we did touch on this in the previous podcast, but when we talk about beauty, what, mm-hmm. what uh, skills are we talking about here? So everything from nails, waxing, tanning, teeth gems, weirdly enough. Teeth uh, gems. <laughs> we were just talking about them. Yep. get a grill. Yeah. <laughs> 2004. It was a big thing. Yeah, right. Uh, but I never knew what they were called, but Teeth gems, well, I like there you it. go. Teeth gems. Yeah. yeah. And then we move through to skin treatments, facial treatments, uh, then through to laser skin applications of that sort. Okay. And working through to machinery as well. Yeah. Actually, you would have looked good with one of those. I was looking at that photo that you posted <laughs> a couple of weeks back on Instagram where you look like the long lost member from InSync when you had the the, the earring and I the, did a the day white course. jacket. Yep. I think the yep. stud earring was enough. <laughs> Not quite sure if a massive a uh, one carat diamond on my incisor would have I feel have like the gone. listeners should vote. This could be <laughs> a thing. Let's do it. Bring back the diamond. Okay, guys, DM us on Instagram if you want me to wear a tooth gem. Oh, yeah, God. perfect. Perfect. So in the beauty therapy diploma, just to give mm-hmm. people an idea, how long does it take and what's it going to cost for someone to do this yep, degree? Yeah, sure. So what degree? Is it a degree or a, diplo- it's a diploma? It's a diploma. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's a diploma. What's so the difference between a degree and a diploma? Is it just the just faculty the way, where it's done? Yeah, yeah. So... Take Canberra, for example, which is where I did my qualification in beauty. Uh, I did it through CIT, which is um, effectively known as TAFE. It seems to be everywhere else. Uh, so what will happen in your first year is you'll go through 
uh, everything in your foundation knowledge and then you'll start doing the advanced treatments uh, post 12 months. Yeah. So usually you're looking at a 12 to 18 month commitment for a full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can condense and study a few uh, uh, like units of your study faster, which means you could probably knock it over in about a year, to yeah. be honest. Okay. If I'm honest, though, I do believe that once you finished your diploma, it, it honestly took me about a year to be really confident in what I was doing. Yeah. And even now, I'm still continuously learning, you know, almost 15 years in. Did you get any work experience whilst doing the diploma? Or is it all classroom based stuff? So I was lucky enough in my training school to have a student salon. So oh. you're you're learning every single day and That's then you're cool. putting those particular skills into practice. Yeah. So so that was exciting. So the members of the public could book in for a little bit cheaper, yeah. knowing that we were learning, we take a little while longer and we might need to put a hand up halfway through and say, Hey, just double checking this is exactly how I should be doing it. Mm. Um and then we can, you know, learn together from there. Yeah. I know um I'm good friends with uh, a massage therapist and that's how they work because of, obviously yeah. it's a hands-on type job and so like you say they get members of the public to have mm. cheaper massages but they're doing it in a group session and you yeah. know you, you can't learn this stuff just in a classroom it's a practical skill isn't it exactly right and towards the end of your diploma you're still doing your student salon but you could actually be working as a professional beauty therapist as well so for those of you that are looking to do maybe some cheaper facial treatments, yeah. <laughs> head through to your uh, your beauty school because a lot of the time they're they're already working full time. They're just marking off a few things yeah, for their education. Okay. And what was uh, would it cost roughly to do these this diploma? Depending on how you study, you can actually do an online diploma as well, which okay. is considerably cheaper. Uh, but you do need to make sure that you have someone who will support you in your practical learning. Mm-hmm. So anywhere between five and twenty thousand to give a bit of a range, to be honest. It depends on the quality of the school that you're going to, the experience of the trainers, hmm. what sort of electives you're given as well in your training package. Because if you uh, look through the course prospectus, uh, it'll show you exactly what you'll be learning. There's a core element that you have to learn as part of the registered training package and an additional from there. Hmm. Okay. And that uh, assumably can go on like hex or things like that if people yes. want to. Okay. Yeah. All right. Great. And what do you think in terms of personality type, like personal attributes, mm-hmm. someone that someone might have that would make them a good candidate for moving into this sort of career? Because I think a lot of people like leave school, they don't really know what they want to do. I mean, I know I was one of those people. What, yeah, what do you think would, would make someone good in this type of industry? I think that empathy is a really important thing because you've got to acknowledge that most of your clients that come to see you are looking for your help. Very few clients, like one in a a couple of thousand are coming in and saying, I feel great about everything to do with me, just make me feel even better. So a lot of the time they're actually saying, I'm really struggling with my skin. I'm concerned about my hair. I'm concerned about the way that I'm aging, those sort of things. So it's having empathy and being kind and motivated by creating a change in someone. Mm. I think people who get into this sort of an industry, be it health and beauty, is they're motivated by creating change and being, you know, of care and of service to others. So whilst it's definitely an educational and an academic qualification, it's also very centred in being able to be self-motivated but also find motivation in helping others, be able to treat and plan and, I suppose, form that relationship with people and be able to understand that you're there as a key point in identifying how you can best help them because sometimes they don't really know either. They're just coming in and going, I just don't feel great. Mm. I just need someone to help me in this. Uh, and and making sure that you're treatment planning for them, forming that relationship of trust and, and then moving on from there. But I, I guess the core, I suppose, attributes would be empathy. You want to be hardworking and you want to be, you know, motivated. Um, there seem to be quite a few 
I don't know, education centers and beauty schools and things mm -hmm. popping up all over the place. How do you work out, you know, what, what is quality versus just pumping out a diploma? Yeah, true. Good question. Good question. Uh, so ASCA, A-S-Q-A, uh, is a good site to look at. So what they do is they regulate all the training facilities okay. in Australia. So you'll be able to see what sort of qualifications their trainers have, what packages they're delivering, whether or not they've had any sort of conflict with uh, students past, present, or, mm -hmm. you know, the, the issues with people coming through and not necessarily giving the qualification they said they would. Yes. Um, so for me, I think one of the most important things when it comes to finding the right training school for you is knowing exactly what you're getting yourself into, what they need from you, but also what you need from them. It's There's no shame at all at popping into the training facility and getting a feel for it. Yeah. Because uh, it's a big commitment. And I think that you want schools that are comfortable talking to you and saying, this is what our current students are learning. These are what our past students are actually doing now professionally in industry. Does that school have industry contacts as well that they're proud of and that they can show you? Uh, and and looking through it, you know, what relationships they have with people around them. Because mm. a lot of a lot of students will actually gain their full-time employment whilst finishing up their diploma based on the relationships they make while studying. Yeah. So if that school has a really great reputation, that's that's something to look for. Yeah. I think also going to particular places, you're looking at working. So let's say you want to go work at ABC Plastic Surgery. You would go there and say, look, I'm really interested and passionate about this industry. I would really like to be considered for a position at some point, you know, in the near future. What schools do you believe produce the best students? Because yeah. this is something that I'm aiming for. And, you know, if, if somebody's already done it before you, let's follow in their footsteps and learn from what they've done as well. Or think about it the other way. Do some of the schools have an association with bigger clinics or exactly right. like a feeding school? Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. okay. Now, as the industry's progressed over the last, let's call it 10 years or so, where mm -hmm. someone who goes and does a beauty therapy degree with the aim of moving into like, whether you said like spray tans, facials, mm -hmm. massage, all that sort of stuff. We've seen the emergence of clinics such as LCA, yeah. um, where people are doing different kinds of treatments. How does someone bridge that gap between, because I think there might be a few skills or training techniques that are mm -hmm. not included in the beauty therapy degree that would make, mm -hmm. that would be beneficial for them to have working in a clinic like LCA, which is a little bit, I guess, not, completely medical but not mm -hmm. really beauty either they're sort of yeah, in between it's traditional yeah. beauty salon yeah no i understand so when you finish your diploma you've got a good foundation base right. of all knowledge that you need and then it's about surrounding yourself with the right people uh you do have the option at uh i suppose of pursuing external education in terms of postgraduate certificates mm -hmm. where you can study things like your laser safety officer certificate microdermabrasion chemical peeling it's a dermal science qualification you will find, however, that a lot of the places that are currently delivering these these treatments uh, in their treatment menu offer that sort of training in-house. Uh, things like uh, microdermabrasion and skin needling and, and those sort of treatments, unless you do it in a full qualification as a dermal clinician's license, um, or you can do it through university as well, they're not actually accredited training modules. Mm. So what it means is, to give an example for LCA, you can go and learn all these sort of uh, treatments through Institute because they have their own training academy. So it's looking for businesses that will be able to provide you with the opportunities for personal and professional development and the training um, guidelines as well that are, are readily available. Mm. 
Now, I guess every clinic's going to have its own unique uh, treatments and products. So, yeah, exactly you know, once right. you've got those basics from your diploma, you know, hopefully you find employment and they'll sort of upskill you even further yeah. to do what you're doing every day. It's a good little trick as well when you finish your beauty diploma is to go and look for employers that sell great product because with great product comes great education. Yep. And when you work in those sort of clinics, they want you to love the product. They want you to understand how the treatment works and how to best prescribe it for your clients. So you'll find that your education just continues and continues and continues. So if you can base your employment choices on areas that you want to learn, that's always the best thing to do when you're first starting out. Yeah. From, I guess, an employer perspective, so maybe we'll we'll answer the, I'll ask you the question in two parts. So mm-hmm. first one from um, employer perspective, and then from someone put yourself back in a beauty therapy mm-hmm. mindset. Yeah. Um, I think that there is a bit of a challenge sometimes as an employer where you bring people on to work, say, in a clinic that is a bit more medical, like LCA, for example, mm-hmm. where you're not traditional beauty therapy job, yeah. where you attract a personality type into your business that is struggling with that fast paced, maybe a little less personable in terms of the time you spend with clients. They're a bit more clinical feeling, not mm-hmm. not so warm and warm and fuzzy. <laughs> less spa. Yeah, less yeah. spa feeling. Yeah. How do you, as an employer, I guess for people out there that own clinics or manage clinics, how do you try and find that right person that yeah. will fit into that type of but I guess you could, you, you'll be bringing on people that maybe didn't think about that side of beauty therapy. They were more thinking when they mm-hmm. started the degree, they wanted to do more of the, the fluffy stuff. Yep. Um, okay. Yeah. I think that when you are even just a quarter of the way through your diploma, you know what type of therapist you want to be mm. and you know what you find you know appealing to you and you'll naturally gravitate towards those sort of roles. I found that as an employer in an interview, you have to be really, really honest in what the position, you know, will ask of that particular applicant mm-hmm. because there's no point you know, leading someone into a position and it being, you know, not well suited to them because you've lost the opportunity to get someone who would have been great for the role. But you've also put that person in a position where they're going to be a little demotivated mm-hmm. um, and, and it's not fair for them. Yeah. 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 So I think it's about being really honest. Um, I also do a, a series of questions that revolve around um, specific examples about my current business. So I would be saying things about how many clients I'll see per day and what motivates them as a therapist. Because if they say, you know, what really motivates me as a therapist is meeting Mrs. Smith every three weeks for a facial and we take an hour and a half to do it and there's scented candles and everything and it's amazing and that client loves it and that therapist, you see her face light up. Mm. If you don't offer an hour and a half facials, and it's not the most serene environment, you're doing the wrong thing by that person's career. And you want to build long-term, happy, healthy careers. And part of that is also them interviewing for you, but you interviewing for them. You have to be the right employer. And finding the right people is always going to be difficult. But I think if you're really honest in your interview process, and as a therapist, if you're really honest about what you want to be doing, then you'll always meet halfway and get to a good result. Mm. There's things you can do as well when you're starting to look for the right employer. Go and have treatments in those particular clinics. How does the culture feel? How does the clinic feel? When you had a treatment, what sort of language did the therapist use? Did you notice the energy of the clinic was was right for you? Mm. And whilst that sounds like a bit of a you know fluffy kind of answer, it's true. You spend so much of your time at work. If you think about the amount of times 
as me as your employer, you'll spend 38, 40 hours with me a week, which is more waking hours you will spend with, say, your parents. <laughs> your partner. <laughs> so your partner, yep. you know. So it's about really investing in what makes you happy because as an employer, I want people to be happy, healthy and successful. And the best way to do that is to be honest from the beginning, create the right environment, but put the right people with you. I think that's such a good point. I mean, David, you've obviously owned multiple clinics and mm. set up different types of uh, clinics, but, you know, I've worked in... A handful both in the UK and Australia and the turnover of employees mm. just seems to be crazy. Yeah. Mm. You know, people stay for a week and then they're yeah. here for two months and it's just chopping and changing of the staff and therapists and not finding the right fit. It's just mm. um such a valid point. It's challenging, I yeah. think, from both an employer and an employee perspective. Because I think that the culture is shifting where if you speak to your parents or your grandparents how long they spent in a job. Mm-hmm. Like my grandfather worked for Prospect Council for 40 years or something yeah, ridiculous wow. like that. No one stays in a job for 40 years these days. And then That's our true. parents stayed in jobs. And then it seems like every generation, the amount of time people will spend in one job is getting true. less and less. Well, so it is challenging. There's more options for employers. Yeah. Well, sorry, sorry for employees. Yes. So, if, say, 10 years ago, in the main street of Canberra, there might have been two laser clinics. Now yeah. there's 12. Yes. So there's lots of opportunities for people so they don't have to stay yes. if they're not the best fit, which is both a positive and a negative. The positive is you're getting the right people. The negative is it's harder to find them. Mm. Uh, so ask the right questions as an employer, as an employee. Think about this as, is this the right environment for me? And it's things, I think, as an employer, you can ask by what motivates you. Mm. And if you can deliver that as their employer... That's that's the best thing for both of you. Mm. Absolutely. The interview process is difficult because yeah. it's like a performance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And some people are really good at performing, yeah, but really bad at, at working. Yeah. And, so, <laughs> and some <laughs> people are really good at working but present horribly in an interview. Yes. I've found it really, even after all these years of interviewing hundreds mm-hmm. of people, I can sit across someone and, and interview them for a job and still go, well, <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. Let's see how you perform in the role. It's, that's really difficult. I always ask, give me three things about you that has nothing to do with work. And depending what they name as their first three is what they go to naturally because no one really prepares that. Anyone listening to this who goes for a job with me now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true because that's something they feel comfortable with. So when you notice that therapist or the potential therapist is is getting really nervous, they start going to their rehearsed answers. You don't want their rehearsed answer. You want the most natural version of them. So when you see they're getting really nervous, go back to the fact that they said, you know, they love their dog or they love cooking or, you know, they just moved to Canberra or something because it brings them back to natural. Mm-hmm. And I find that really helps me um, because when I first started interviewing, I made mistakes about being very formal and like, where do you see yourself in five years and why do you want to work for LCA and all those sort of questions. But people rehearse them and it's scary. So if yeah. you can get them back to natural, you see who they're going to be with you in their everyday life. And that's who you're trying to hire. And I guess, let's be honest, a lot of the therapists, you know, in their early 20s, sometimes younger, can mm. be quite confronting to have yeah. someone like you or David sort of saying, what's your five-year plan? They might genuinely <laughs> not know that. Yeah. But they know that yeah. they really like laser <laughs> yeah. and beauty and, yeah, and that's exactly okay. That. You know? I think pick the most important things in your business and see if that motivates them. If they love fast-paced environment and they love microdermabrasions and needling or whatever it is that you particularly specialise in in your business, if they love that and their posture changes and they line up talking about it, that's the right person for you. Even if they're only a week old in industry, that's the right person because you can teach that. You can't teach character, but you can teach them how to be successful in your business. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that I'm really conscious of is trying to hire a person 
that's going to fit into the team because mm. team dynamics are really important, especially with fast-paced clinics yeah. where you're seeing sometimes 100 clients a day, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to try and find people that can work in a cohesive unit yes. um, rather than hiring as individuals. And sometimes that's challenging. Yeah, yeah I made so you that You want to have a tight-knit team. They don't all have to love each other, but they need to be able to work well together yep. and have respect yep, I and agree. get the job done. I used to, when I first started managing people, I would hire therapists I thought would get along. So I ended up just hiring a big bunch of friends, which was nice. But when it came to conflict, they would communicate with each other too casually. So Mm -hmm. it got too inflamed. Um, And I found that that's a mistake I made because I was so worried about the team dynamic all being friends. Um, So I've shifted from that. And we, um, we got a, a business development coach in and she talked to us about defining the standard and defining the minimum expectation of behavior. And that helped me with team dynamics because we talk about above the line behavior and below the line behavior. Mm. And Leslie spent probably, it's, you define the line essentially. So what's your minimum expectation for performance or minimum expectation for behavioral standard? And then you go, what's above the line? Your team agrees to that. What's below the line? Your team agrees to that. And it means that you've got a very visible line of this is what we find to be appropriate in clinic. And you can start building your team culture and relationships around that because this is safety. Mm-hmm. You know what's expected of you. You know what's expected of others and what you can expect to to receive in terms of behavior from your coworkers as well. Mm. And you'll slip up occasionally. Absolutely, we're human. But I think if you can have a really like definitive line, you can be the living example as the employer of someone that you would want them to be working with. It means that you can hold people accountable and to a certain degree rules really make people feel safe. You don't want to be like too militant, but you do definitely want to be able to define what you expect as a minimum standard, mm. have everyone agree to that, and then you can all work towards maintaining that. How do you find you you own a few clinics and yeah. obviously you don't want to be the boss that's so aloof and distant from the team that, you know, it never works, but you don't want to be mm. so friendly that, like you said, it becomes too cash. Yeah. I think um, everyone needs to find their own style. The way yeah. that I would communicate with a team would be very different to the way Cassandra would communicate with a team. And I think that's one of the hardest things when you see people move from, say, a therapist role into mm. a manager role is um, finding their voice or finding out their, their how they manage people because it is they go either – really, really super, you've got to respect me, I've got this job title now, mm. and the team just, you you don't just get respect, you have to earn it. Mm. So if you just go in there and, and demand it and, and I guess don't have that personal relationship with the team anymore, I think yeah. you can find it really difficult. Um, and I think that if you're the opposite, you also run into the same problems, which are too casual, people will walk all over you, there's no respect nothing happens. It's just a complete, it's a complete circus. So I think it's somewhere in between mm. where to people know there's consistent. a line, but yeah. they know that you're human. They can come and talk to you and exactly. just having that, that mutual respect, mm. yeah. I think, but everyone's style and the way they communicate will be a little bit different. I need to remove a piece of fluff from your chin. Oh, sorry. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the living with, living with cats. They're all morning. Yeah. Them. Okay. I'm going to get rid of this I now. think when we talk about what makes a, a great leader, that's always a, an interesting topic because Essentially, when you lead and manage a team, 
you really should be the living example of what you're expecting your team to accomplish as well. So I think your team have to see you sweat. Like you have to be the person like mopping the floors a lot, <laughs> which sounds a little counterproductive because David you own the clinics. About a month ago <laughs> Excellent. Thank That's you, good. David. That's okay. They have to be able to know that you're, you know, shoulder to shoulder with them. And whilst you might not necessarily be performing the treatments day in, day out, you're the person supporting the team, leading the charge and ensuring that they both have somewhere to, I suppose, run to, but also come home to as well. They need to feel safe but motivated and I think that comes from being consistent firm but fair yeah can I reel you back to a a topic that you touched on earlier um laser how does someone obtain you know laser skills and qualifications Mm -hmm. that's a separate there is one yeah 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 so it's separate to your beauty diploma so your beauty diploma will give you that foundation and then you can start specializing in areas that you felt drawn to within that particular core unit yeah Uh, so you could do a laser safety officer certificate Uh, lots of training schools will deliver it to you yeah a lot of them do it online but i would recommend having a relationship with you know, someone to learn from. If you're entirely new to industry and you're thinking about getting into laser straight away as your own business, I would genuinely recommend you go work with someone first. Uh, There's so much that I learned in addition to that piece of paper that says, you know, you are a qualified, you know, laser tech that I knew nothing about when I first did that that particular qualification. So I think that's really important. Um, But the laser safety certificate can be anywhere from, you know, a few days to a few weeks, depending on what depth of education you go for. And then so much training is available to you in industry. Like we work with Candela Lasers at Laser Clinics Australia and every year I'll go through and do a recap, even though I'm almost like 15 years old in industry now. Yeah. Because the things get tweaked every year, don't they? And yeah. change new yeah. equipment, etc. I mean, I'm interested because, of course, there are doctors who use lasers, mm. nurses who potentially use lasers, as yeah. well as therapists. Do you have any idea of um, how many doctors are, are obtaining a lazy safety safety officer diploma, or, or is it a different? I, thing? I wouldn't be able to tell you. I know the qualification is exactly the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, That's so probably. different lasers are available to different qualifications as a core qualification. Yeah. But to do laser hair removal, skin treatments, those sort of things, the majority can be performed uh, by anyone holding that license. So would a dermatologist still have to go and get a laser safety officer? Depending on what state they, they work in uh, is what qualification they would need. I do okay. know that Australia is looking at trying to you know, put a blanket qualification, which is great. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, it would depend on what state you were living in. Yes. So you can look at the Arpanza website. I'll speak to someone for Arpanza, which is a regulatory board. Okay. Um, and they can let you know exactly what you need. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit confusing because you've got all these different states with slightly different exactly. legislation. You've got lasers that are coming in from China. That mm-hmm. Who knows if they do what they say they're going to do. And then you've got ablative lasers, non-ablative yes. lasers. There's so many different... It's Definitely. quite confusing. We need to do a laser podcast. Yeah, we will. You know, <laughs> I sort of feel like as a doctor, maybe I should know about how yeah. to use a laser. Not that it's my passion at all, but at the same time, I'm not obviously wanting to you know remove hair. That's well. I think how it would help you is that you focus so much from a cosmetic injectable point on in rebuilding the structure and helping with muscle tone and those yeah. sort of things that. What if you could also deliver some information about the texture and tone of the skin and how it's physically appearing? Exactly. So that you're, when you're, you know, referring on to a therapist, you can give that sort of information as well. Yeah. So any doctors listening, that's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, I mean, if you're, I guess, the doctors that tend to focus on laser aren't doing laser hair removal, as you, as you suggested, but they're doing things like Pigment fractionated function. resurfacing. Yeah. They're removing, using erbium lasers, for example, to remove moles or skin tags. Yeah. Um, 
there's a lot of different types of lasers that. Mm. Yeah. The podcast will go for 20 hours talking yeah. about it. Yeah, it's a whole other, like, universe. Of, <laughs> well, I, of- I guess the reason why people like myself maybe haven't explored it is, one, to be honest, it's not my passion, but, two, because there are so many non-doctors offering these mm-hmm. services, it's, you sort of wonder, is this market saturated and uh, is my time best spent doing what I really do? I think there's an argument for both, yeah. to be honest. So you want to put as much energy as possible into playing to your strengths and – Again, remembering you're spending so much time at work, so you'd best love it. Do the yes. things like, yes, we have to do like the crappier parts of our job sometimes, but <laughs> if you're motivated daily by things that, you know, create change yeah. and things that will continue to develop with you, I think stay there. Yeah. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with knowing enough to make sure that your tr- your clients have the best experience yeah. possible. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, one of the challenges, I guess, that we face um, in our day-to-day business is that constant struggle between making sure there's enough revenue coming in mm-hmm. um, to keep the business moving forward um, and there's enough money to pay everyone and, and invest in your equipment <laughs> and so on and so yeah. forth. Um, but then there's also the challenge of not wanting to drive your staff too hard to the point where they're just hating coming to work or your, I guess, your um, your clients feeling pressured or that they're having things shoved down their throat. So mm-hmm. as an owner, how do you sort of motivate your team enough and arm them with the right skills to be successful from a business generating perspective but also making sure that they're doing the right thing by the clients it's challenging yeah, right yeah yeah it's it's multi-dimensional <laughs> yeah uh i think I just the, saw your head just go <laughs> <laughs> like how long do you have <laughs> uh so what i like to focus on first and foremost is the customer experience if you can I suppose, create a relationship with that client, they trust you, they are consistently having a good experience within the clinic, then sales is kind of like a side effect, really, because you form that relationship with that client, that client's come in for their consultation, or maybe they've just come in to say hello, and they instantaneously feel safe, Mm. they want to know more, and they're ready to start. I think that when we start talking about pressuring and you know, delivering whatever you possibly can or whatever's on sale at that time, mm. we're not doing the best thing by a long-term, I suppose, relationship with that client. Yeah. Um, when we talk about motivating and, and making sure we make enough sales, I think that if you get the core right, it flows from there. There's definitely some people that are sellers and some people that are more the long-term strategy people. Mm-hmm. And I think you need a combination of both. Yeah. There's going to be a client that's going to come in one day and just go, I just want to drop $1,000 on this random thing. And you don't really need to work too hard for it. Yeah. But I think you actually make more money out of the people that you say no to, which sounds counterproductive. But I have clients from a decade ago that I haven't sold something that they wanted they didn't need it. It wouldn't have gotten them the result they're really, you know, looking for. But instead I steer them in a different direction that might not have made as much money for the business. But that relationship is worth a lot more now. Yeah. So it is a hard, a hard line between I've got to pay rent today <laughs> to I want to make sure this, you know, relationship with this client is long term. Yeah. yeah. And, I, I think yeah. that works for, for injectables as well. Any injectors mm. listening, you'll know that you know, if someone comes in with a very clear idea of I want my frown lines treated today, yeah. well, of course, that's probably what you're going to have to deliver. But if someone doesn't quite know and they're there, mm. as one of your skin clients might be, if you just give them all of the options yeah. and go through everything in steps, then they'll sort of walk away empowered to maybe come back exactly and build right. yeah. their journey over the next year. It's a referral base too. As soon as they trust you, like if you work on the theory of eight, a happy client will tell eight people eventually. 
a cranky client will tell eight people very quickly. Mm. <laughs> so And they'll go to Google a great motivator. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly right. And you don't want your staff as well feeling like they're just pressured to sell, 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 yeah. sell, sell all the time because that's not why they got into this position yeah. in the first place. They didn't want to be in a beauty therapy position, sorry, beauty therapy position to just sell, sell, sell. Yes. They want to help. They want to inspire. They want to build relationships with people and they want to, you know, treatment plan. That's what motivates 99% of you know the beauty therapy population so i suppose yes i agree it can be a little bit stressful managing what the best thing is for the business at the time versus i really need to be you know working on my revenue and my turnover you don't want the clients to to feel pressured you don't want the staff to feel pressured but in the same breath there needs to be a little bit of you know expectation that sales is part of the job well because you know I've never owned a clinic and I hope I never do see how stressed David all the time. But, you know, you've got very uh, definite expenses every month, whether yeah. it's rent, wages, electricity, product. Yes. So to some extent you have to drive mm. that constant sort of, not, not sales, I, I probably wouldn't call it sales, but that constant motivation to, um, I don't know, um, give your staff enthusiasm to, at yeah. least meet, meet those minimum targets. Yeah, so the minimum expectation, I guess, is, is something that you set. But if you love what you do and you are providing great treatment outcomes and you have a great treatment menu you know, at your disposal, it does just keep you motivated. And for the right person, you shouldn't really have to be forcing sales training to. Sure, you need a bit of coaching, as everyone does, on how to handle objections and those sort of things. But if you're moral in the way that you're communicating a treatment plan with someone and you, you start that relationship off strong and ethical, mm. you'll have a long-term relationship with that person. So it's better that they spend, you know, however many dollars over the years they're with you rather than flogging them a product that hopefully will do what they say, but you haven't really taken the time to really understand their skin mm. or their motivations. Yeah, yeah. I think it gets back to that point where you where you said um, people being in the job for the right reasons. Mm, yeah. um, and I think that as just people in today's society, we're bombarded with people trying to sell us shit mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, it's yeah. gotten to a point where I don't answer my phone if I don't know the number, <laughs> even if it's not hidden, even if it's a mobile. Yeah. You just never know. Someone. We're just everywhere we go like, okay, people's mm. not watching TV. So every time you go to YouTube now, you're getting smashed with ads. People exactly are trying right. to sell. So I think that if, from my perspective, um, if you have your team, as you said, focused on what they're passionate about, which is helping mm. people and educating people, yeah. um, the sales will come. So rather than chasing the dollar is actually chase the experience exactly and the right. education for your clients and yeah. then everything else will flow from there. Yeah. Would yeah, you agree? I agree. Or- yeah, no, agree. Are there, you know, I don't know about this realm, but you guys own your own clinics. Are there any clinic running courses or anything like that available where, where mm. people, you know, considering buying a business could dip in and get those core skills or at least just educate themselves on what they're coming up against? Uh, not that I'm aware. I mean, you can go do a business degree, but in, I don't know how. There's a lot of support it. in industry now, to be Sorry. honest. There's a lot of support right. in industry now. So you, um, there's a lot of groups that you can join and have a pretty open dialogue about what you're struggling with and, you know, mentors and those sort of things. Yeah. I think people like myself included are very open to having the conversation with others are so looking at starting their own businesses or they're struggling in their current business. So yeah. whilst I don't necessarily think there's a particular training course that you can do to say, this is how you run a clinic. Yeah. I think that when you work in a clinic for long enough as well, you start picking up things that work well, things you do differently if you had your own business. Yeah. But being humble enough to ask for help, I think, is really important, regardless 100%. of whether or not you own a clinic or whether you're just starting. Yeah. Oh, 
I mean, the stuff I still pick up the phone and ask you for help on, so that I'm not, <laughs> that I'm not good at okay. or that I need. Um, you but know, you're, you guys are quite honest, yeah. you know, in your partnership that you've yeah. got your own skill set. Mm. Kat yeah, is exactly great right. at other stuff and, and that works. That's the team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think you've just got to recognize what you're good and bad at. Absolutely. I'm sure there's Facebook groups and yeah. informal ways of getting advice. Yeah. It's hard because there's so many different scenarios that can pop up. And I think that the business itself is actually quite simple. It's managing people that's difficult mm. and personalities and everyone's got their own stuff and their life going on and yeah, managing team dynamics. as well, hates of clients, different expectations, mm. different things changing every single day. But don't be afraid, I guess, just to randomly DM someone you think's doing amazing. <laughs> Yeah. If you don't have their email address Prepare or some phone DMs. Well, That's the beauty of Instagram and Facebook. You can connect yeah. with, you know, pretty high profile people now and yeah. assuming they're running their own account, you might actually be able to speak True. to them. Look Jake runs his respond. own account for any fans out there. You get yeah. a personal <laughs> DM back. It's driving me mental. But say if you reach out to someone and you don't get the response you need, you're at no different position. Yeah. yeah. They've just said no, not yet. Well, no, you not haven't now. asked, you already so. got a no. Exactly right. So That's exactly right. Better from there. Um, in terms of career progression, can you walk us through your own path to success um, <laughs> yeah. and maybe sort of inspire someone who is, you know, looking at someone and thinking about, oh, maybe I could do this. How would yeah, you? Yeah, sure. Um, so success always makes me feel a little uncomfortable because I always feel like I've got so much more to do. And I think even when I start to get comfortable, I'll throw myself at something else, hence why we we bought another clinic. Uh, uh, but I've had a, a pretty consistent career in beauty therapy, but I do actually think that the positions I did before I studied really set me up for success in how I manage people and how I communicate with my clients and, yeah. and those sort of things. So I touched briefly on this, the first podcast I was in with you guys, but my first job was as a popcorn maker at a cinema. Yes. <laughs> And my first paycheck, I bought skincare. Uh, so that was definitely a, a sign of what was what was to come. But I think working in a cinema really helped me understand pace and that things needed to be quick, quick but look effortless. Mm. And then my next job was at a casino and I was a blackjack dealer and that was talking super to quick. like multi-diverse like diverse people and super quick dealing and it really taught me that – even if they're not going to have a great outcome, they have to have a great experience. Yeah. So I might take, you know, have many dollars from you today in blackjack, but if you had a great experience, I've done my job. And I think that taught me to deal with conflict, people's expectations and creating the right experience. So from, I suppose, making popcorn taught me pace and taught me, you know, basic customer service skills. And then moving through to the casino taught me conflict resolution and dealing with, you know, lots of different types of people and language barriers and all sorts of things. But it gave me enough confidence to really back myself. And I think that that then moving through to beauty therapy gave me really good, good positioning. Mm. Oddly enough, I've actually sent people away from interviews and said, go be a barista or go say hello to the same type of person for a week straight. Go work at Subway, go work in fast food, just do something where you've got to talk to people all the time because yeah. that's a big skill. Um, but for me, I think that moving through to beauty therapy, finding what I was really passionate about, learning how I learn was a really important skill. And I don't think you get taught that in like your regular schooling from kindergarten to 12, 12 to if you choose to go to, to university. So learning how I learn was really important. But I think just making an active decision to pursue what makes you happy, which sounds like a really fluffy answer, but it's entirely true. You spend so much of your life at work, you'd best be doing something that makes you truly inspired. 
and surrounding yourself with people that can help you feel like that every day. Yeah. This job isn't easy. Like there are times where I'll call David and be like, oh, I'm so stressed. But it's it's sitting back and going, Cassandra, this is the right industry for you. This is exactly what you should be doing. And you've got 55 people around you that, A, you're responsible for because, you know, mortgage, rent, career development, those sort of things. But you've also got all those personalities and energies to be inspired by as well. Yeah. So for me, I think that my career has really only just started because I've just started to hit a bit of a stride now. So whilst I might be seen as, you know, moderately successful, I'm actually still learning every single day of the week and I still feel like I'm maybe a quarter of the way through what I want to do. So for me, I think that if you can quickly identify what makes you really motivated, learn how you learn and pick up skills that won't necessarily feel natural to you. If everything becomes part of that programming, you're always going to set yourself up for success just yeah. a little bit easier. So if you haven't reached where you want to be, what's your five-year plan? I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh, that's so much. <laughs> <laughs> this is your interview. Yes. yes. Uh, I'm really, really passionate about education. I love I love my job. I love being able to see someone from a brand new therapist right through to someone who is leading and managing a team. Yeah. I also love seeing people who've been out of industry for a while who have come back and they're renewed by by what we're able to provide for them yeah. within the clinics that we own. I think that for me it'll be pursuing education more formally. Uh, and be able to provide those sort of opportunities to my team yeah. um, and making decisions around, you know, where we grow from here. So it's not necessarily where we go, it's where we grow. Where do we grow from here? We've got the core skills. Yeah. We've laid the foundation. Now how do we really bloom? Yeah. Am I right in saying as a result of your first podcast that led to another role? Yeah, yes. Tell I us do. about that. <laughs> yes, I do. Jake's going to get you speaking. up from some commission. Just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Careful. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm doing it for no, free. No, no, nothing. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's an interesting point. You know, we've reached out to some guests and, you know, a handful of people have not been so sure, maybe because they don't understand the podcast, but every guest that has come on here has in some way benefited business-wise, whether it's just through simple exposure or people calling their clinic or yeah. in Cassie's case, another role came up. So, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. I think that um, I am a good example of someone who's done a bit of everything. Uh, so I've, as you know, as we're talking about before, I've mopped the floors, I've cleaned the work spots. I've done everything from that right through to, you know, owning and leading clinics. And I feel like, as I said, I'm only just getting started. So I think that's a good person to speak to when you're just starting an industry, which is why I go and speak to quite a few schools and say, this is what I'm doing. This is what I think you'd be great at. Um, I'm really passionate about leading and mentoring people, whether they're my own employees or whether it's just someone that's really interested in, in the industry. Yeah. Um, so I guess that's kind of where I see my strength moving forward as well mm-hmm. and as a result of this podcast a lot of people have reached out to me and said you know what I really resonated with your last podcast I really liked the way that you spoke would you mind speaking to my students or would you mind Great. speaking to my team yeah there you I go love that. so final question for this episode yes. um if you could walk through that cupboard and to it, <laughs> just pretend it's a time machine mm-hmm. 10 15 years and you could meet yourself what would you tell like what lessons would you impart and what advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now Oh, mm. uh, okay. So <laughs> past Cassandra. So I like to focus a lot on future Cassandra because that's how I make my goals. So I'll say, what's future Cassandra doing? What's she loving? What's she doing well? What's she motivated by? So I think moving to past Cassandra, I probably would have just preferred to get to this spot in terms of my level of confidence, 
um, not necessarily comfortability, but ease in my career. I would have liked to get there faster. And I think in the beginning, it was all in my head. I was very, very insecure. And what if I don't know a hundred percent? What if I'm not the smartest person in the room? What if I'm not the best at every single part of this qualification? And I think I waste a lot of time worrying about that insecurity. So I guess I would say to her, you know, back yourself, start being humble enough to put your hand up and say, I'm not ready yet. I just need some time to understand this particular bit or can you help me understand this? Mm. I'd surround myself more with community. I was very solo operator for a few years before I started with uh, LCA. I had a few colleagues, but it wasn't a relationship where I could call into someone and saying, you know, I, I really love the way I saw you do this on Facebook or Instagram, or I've heard great things about you, you in industry. Can I come buy you a coffee? I would have loved to have the confidence to do that because I'd have no problem with doing that now. And there's so much growth you can get yeah. from learning from other people's experience. So I guess I would say to her, back yourself, think big, um, you know, picture a goal and run at it rather than, you know, focus on how big that Try goal to be is. Perfect. It, it, yeah, don't yeah. be perfect. Just be there, start where you are and move forward. Yeah. And I can't remember who said it to me, but someone, I, I'll have to, you know, praise them at some point. But Probably me. It's probably you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. But they said, um, what are you most scared of? And I was like, oh, I just, I'm so scared of failing. I'm so scared of it. And they said, look, if you're going to fail, lean forward because at least when you fall, you're further on than when you started. And that really like sat really well with me. And I thought, you know what, I can be about that. Because even if I really, I leap in at least on that tiny bit further yeah. and I'm, I'm better at making decisions. But had I not stumbled where I did and fell where I was, then I wouldn't be where I am now. So that's well, great advice. Yeah, It's almost like you haven't really, you don't know what someone's made of until you've seen them walk through adversity. Mm. It's easy to be confident and successful and happy and all those sorts of things and everything's going right. Mm. But when you hit that barrier or something catastrophic happens or you make a big mistake, it's how you respond to that that I think exactly shows right. who you are. Yeah. Yeah. It's the challenge that defines you, I think, and how mm. you respond to that. Yeah. So pass Cassandra, you're doing a good job. <laughs> Back <laughs> yourself and be a little um, open to, to hearing some more advice and don't be scared of failure and Maybe don't shave your eyebrows because, you know, really, <laughs> what? What? yeah. Like, seriously, some of the women are hearing this. Back in the day, it was the thinnest eyebrow you could have. So you plucked them within an inch of your life. And now all of us are paying to get microblading done. Yeah, I see that on the treatment bed all the time. Yeah. I'm very lucky. Yeah. I've got some really, uh, really good people in Canberra doing my brows now. But back in the day, <laughs> thank you, the lab. Embrace, embrace the brow. <laughs> yes, yes. You've heard it here first on Inside Aesthetics. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for um, coming back to see us. No Appreciate it. And uh, we're going to do another episode soon. Yeah. Sounds do you want to remind us how people find you or get in contact if they want to... Sure. Ask a question or advice or Yep, a job. I'm about real-time <laughs> interaction of late. Uh, so email me and let's set up a call. So for me, I think that whilst that, that leads to a bit of time, I like the interaction of actually speaking to you, knowing who you are, what motivates you and how I can help. So info at fullcircleskin.com.au is great. Um, and we can we can talk business and brunch and skin. Great. Very good. Thank you so much. No worries. We'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Kath. For our latest news, upcoming episode information and mini video clips of our guests, you can follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. 
We've also just started a YouTube channel called Inside Aesthetics and we'll be uploading more content and longer videos in the future.